Hi everyone, welcome to our the fifth in our series on purpose. We're actually doing things a bit differently, but maybe part of a direction we want to move in. So we're, I'm really excited. We're actually going to have a conversation. I heard Paul's talk last week on purpose. I really recommend you listen to it if you haven't before you hear this conversation or afterwards if you want to hear the conversation first, because it was listening to the conversation that sparked some questions for me. And so now we have this privilege where I can ask Paul those questions. We're going to have a discussion, um, a dialogue about some of the things that came up. Now, when I was growing up in, ter in, in terms of the particular church tradition I grew up in, probably we were really moving away from caring about things like theology, particularly denomination and so on. There was a big thing about were you immersed or filled in the Holy Spirit? I remember that that was something people talked about. But as I grew older, more and more, there were no questions at all, really, on things like statement of faith, doctrines, denominations. They just felt archaic and from another age and didn't really matter to people. So coming to the present day, the big question, probably the only question that Chris particularly and Chris and I get asked regularly in terms of what we believe is what we believe about the nature of gender and sexuality. That's the, that is the kind of, if you like, the statement of faith for us now in the 2020s. So you may think this is a bit archaic. We're going to have a conversation about those good old school things like who God is, who humans are, why did Jesus have to die? And you might be thinking that's not even the question that anyone's asking anymore. But I think our questions around identity is the question behind the question. So bear with us. We're going to have a good old school dialogue about these things, about what it is to be human, human nature. Why did Jesus have to die? And relax into it as well. We have quite an obsession with our stream in immediately moving to practical application. What we want to do is just dialogue. We want to immerse ourselves in thinking about these things. And we find often the Holy Spirit will kind of press something or move something or over thinking about it for days, weeks, months, just kind of um, move us in a particular direction. So even if you think, why am I listening to this? This is not helping me when I'm trying to change my nappy or when I'm trying to get to work in this new hybrid working or when I'm just trying to get out of bed in the morning, do listen to it because questions of identity will inform every single other area of our life. That said, I'm now excited to be talking to Paul. We're going to look at three areas and I'm going to ask him about the first thing that came up. So, Paul, welcome. Lovely hey, to have you here. Thanks for the intro. Good just intro. Just to say, we chat like this a lot, don't yeah. we? So this is the first time it's live, but actually this is our normal conversation. Paul will come out with something and I'll question him on it and we have a little chat. It's really good. There's probably so, a good few recordings kicking around of that somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've done that for a few years. Yeah. So this is authentic. This is probably what I would be saying to Paul anyway or talking about with him in the back, in the light of his talk. So the first one is I loved Paul that you picked up on this idea of deficiency pervading deficiency there's something about being human that in all cultures and particularly in our um, inheritance from you mentioned Augustine's original sin that we have this pervading sense of deficiency and you identify a source in it that, that seems to be different from maybe some of the training we've inherited you go to the Genesis 2 narrative and I've got some great Paul Goff quotes you'd be pleased to know and, and this is, it's a brilliant moment where, with two things. Firstly, you take purpose immediately to identity. And I love that. You just get to the thing behind the thing, identity. That will reframe purpose. And that's why we're looking at identity, even though we're in a purpose series. 
and you say, how do we know what our nature is, our identity, and therefore how is our purpose to emerge from those things? That makes sense. You're going behind the thing to the thing. And you, you in that narrative, you say, if I take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then I can correct the thing that is deficient in me and become the thing I want to take and become and be like God. And so there are three probably movements around what it is to be human in terms of this deficiency in history. There's the Augustine's original sin. We have this, we have this moral guilt that we were just born with in from conception you talked about and then I think the enlightenment came and this is really simplistic so forgive me those enlightenment thinkers who are like what are you talking about and they were kind of suddenly moved away from that and they started to talk about Locke talks about we're born with a blank slate so it's not like good or bad it's just total nature that takes us to a destiny and then Jean-Jacques Rousseau particularly talks about we're originally innocent and then political systems corrupt us. And, and both of them really are feeding into, therefore, education is the key, salvation by education. What would you say to this, this thing that we want to know? There's something wrong with the world. All these, but we're all saying the same thing. We're saying there's something wrong with the world and there's something about me that, that I'm not sure what's, what, what is wrong. You're saying something slightly different to what St. Augustine would say, his reading, you're saying something different. Can you speak into that training in the tree, the knowledge of good and evil? And and the are we originally innocent? Are we a blank slate? Are we originally fundamentally corrupt and we need some sort of salvation? What's your take mm. on that? It's just it's such a fantastic topic. And I was, I was glad to get the questions. Uh, I, I think in some ways it's such a huge topic. We're literally yeah. could spend a whole week yeah, totally. and not really quite get to the bottom of it. And and there are a lot of kind of threads that weave in together there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe we'd, maybe we'd separate them out into sort of two strands to begin with. And one is the Christian tradition Brilliant. and how how we've approached these things in the family conversation, you know, yeah. the family conversation of the yeah. church, how that's been approached over the years. And the second, which of course is related, mm. and that's the... Um, uses the, the the secular discussion yes. you know you mentioned about Locke and Rousseau and yep. uh and enlightenment era questioning around mm. the received dogma yes um that's there in the west and of course the the one follows the other yeah. but they're they're sort of two categories of, of conversation in some ways um so first of all I think the the Augustinian thing and for people who don't know Augustine mm. you know is great theologian Saint mm. Augustine um considered one of the kind of cornerstone mm. thinkers you know yeah. of the the first few hundred years of, of the christian faith um said some amazing things yeah. you know in many ways a, a a good guy but also like most when you when you read them you get a mixture of some stuff which mm. actually when you put it under scrutiny you realize there's some significant issues there mm. that we ought to uh, be prepared to ask questions around um so augustine is really hailed as the the one who codifies this idea of the concept of original sin even yeah. the term original sin mm. And, uh, and I think, um, and, and as an idea, it's one that was very powerful because mm. it got adopted really by the whole Western church, mm. um, even to this day. Mm. Uh, it's almost taken as a given. And also secular conceptualizations of Christianity mm. will often address this issue of, um, of original sin. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it needs some un- unpicking. I mean, first of all, I would say, um, just to look at Augustine, I think that Augustine's conclusions of the idea of original sin, 
to put it simply, we all, we all inherit an intrinsically corrupt and unholy nature mm -hmm. going back to Adam, going right. Adam's sin, therefore transmitted a kind of a hardwired spiritual DNA to us mm. to be uh, corrupt and ungodlike. Mm. Um, so he kind of codified this in that way, uh, but he also concluded as a consequence, and I may, I may be alluded to this in the talk, mm. I can't remember, but uh, as a consequence, he had this idea that even uh, babies who were stillborn yeah. would then automatically yeah. go to go to hell yes. and be judged by God because yeah. they are intrinsically corrupt. Mm. And so even even to this day in the kind of conservative wings of the, 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 the Catholic Church, mm. there are rights for the baptism of stillborn infants. Mm. And the, the expectation then is unless those rights are performed, mm. their default state is unforgiven, it's mm. corrupt, it's basically lost. Mm. And I think that any... Any theology which leads to that conclusion, and I think that Augustine's theology does lead to that conclusion. Okay. Any theology that leads to that conclusion is demonstrably false. Mm -hmm. Like that, that cannot possibly be mm -hmm. in keeping. It's not in keeping with the scripture, mm -hmm. the scriptural witness, particularly the teachings of Jesus, nor is it philosophically conscionable. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the idea that um, any world mm -hmm. that has its origins in a good God could be set up in such a way mm -hmm. that required the, the the baptism of stillborn infants mm. otherwise they 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 go to a, a, a hellish judgment i mean that's mm. if, if we allow ourselves to just even consider that i think it's yeah. i think it's crazy i think it's insane actually mm. and augustine i think he dropped the ball on that one and mm. um, so i think my starting point is at the very least the way that that augustinian precedent was set out mm. uh is obviously demonstrably false so we need to take a step back from that and say, all right, let's ask some more questions about it. What's, mm. what is it he's trying to get at? Mm. Where does he kind of go right? Where does he go wrong? And what, what happens, um, you know, in the, uh, in, in the kind of following centuries of thought and, and, and in the Christian tradition. Mm. So, um, I think that that's there for me. It's conspicuous. I've actually done quite a lot of reading on this subject. You know, I, I've been really struck by Jesus's dialogue with the disciples about children mm. it strikes me that yeah. is such an important mm. aspect of the gospel that is overlooked so quickly mm. um and we you know i've talked about george MacDonald before mm. in un unspoken yeah. sermons i think it's the very first chapter the very first sermon of unspoken sermons mm. um george MacDonald addresses that that part of the gospel jesus called a child to stand among them mm. and he he makes the statement that um actually this is because god himself is inherently childlike um that's mm. why he says if you want to see the kingdom you have to become like a child that's inherently the the way that mm. god is um and yes there's obviously a serious problem with the world serious problem with the yeah. world system um there's the problem of sin mm. that that is there um and we have come up with all sorts of different ways of trying to understand that and deal yeah. with it so i I want to start, I want to start with Jesus. I want to start and end with him yeah. because that's what he said. He's the start and the end, you know, the alpha mm. and the omega, the end, the Z. So I want to start and end with him. And I, I, I think that, uh, his comments always greatly dignify and sanctify childhood. Mm. So any, teaching or discussion which desanctifies childhood mm. i think is antichrist mm. literally antichrist against mm. against the the, mm. the 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 character and the flow that that mm. comes from uh from jesus so i think if we can, can if we can accept that first mm. of all then 
means perhaps other passages of scripture which we may have may be familiar to us which we've just taken as read mm. in the past and just assumed they fall under that that you know they're just kind of confirming scriptures mm. I, I thought of the one you know paul says i know that nothing good lives in me mm. that is in my flesh you know for example mm. um, maybe we're used to a scripture like that mm. and to interpreting it in an augustinian way you know mm. for, for want of a better word or, um maybe once we realize it can't be interpreted mm. that way, we have to take a step back what is it that paul's actually saying mm. Um, in the light of Christ and in the light of the statements that Christ has um, uh, made and given to us, then we just need, we need to revisit the question in a, in a different way. Mm. Um, so that's what I'm advocating for because I think that's what the gospel does. I think yeah. the gospel uh, cuts through this. It, going back to Genesis 2, mm. it's an interesting meditation for me that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life are both trees. Yeah. So... If they're both trees, mm. well, they're both trees. They kind of, they have trunks, they have branches, mm. they have leaves. Mm. There's an awful lot about them that's ostensibly very similar. Mm. And if you don't know a lot about trees, then you can easily mistake one tree for another. Mm. And I think that in this instance, if we, we look at the imagery that's given to us in the, in the Genesis narrative of two trees, uh, how do we differentiate between those two? Mm. Because we might, uh, we might be calling the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so how do we actually uh, di rightly divide between those things? Mm. How does Christ rightly divide it? Mm. He says, Jesus said, I've not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Mm. Well, he's the prince of peace. So obviously he's come to bring peace. He is the very source of peace. Mm. But he's playing with us when he says that. Mm. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to actually cut between mm. two things because there's two things that have got meshed together in a way they shouldn't have been. Mm. I think that goes back to two trees in the garden. And that's yeah. why my starting point is Jesus. My second point is Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. that makes a lot of sense. I completely see what you're saying. So you get, let's go on to that, that mm. tree in the garden. I love what you said that Jesus liberates us. Uh, from the tyranny of self-effort. Mm. That's a good Paul Gov quote. Jesus liberates us from the tyranny of self-effort. Absolutely brilliant. And what you say is the training in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that the world system, this is another Paul Gov quote, is entirely predicated on this idea of self-improvement. So you're, we're, we, the, in that, that imagery is basically saying all humans are in this training and that's made us believe we're deficient. You need to learn what is good and what is bad Again, I'm quoting you, Paul. If you find you're not choosing the good sufficiently and not choosing the bad sufficiently, then it's because your willpower is suffering somehow. You need to psych yourself up more. But I'm wondering, my question about that was, wasn't that the role of the Torah, the law, the instruction that was in enlightening us? Because before that, we didn't realize that our, what we were doing was cruel and causing suffering. We were building empires, you know, Egypt, Babylon, these ancient empires became images of human dominion. That, that basically involved the oppression and injustice of many for the for the power of the few. That system was exposed through the Torah, through the instruction, through the law, which enlightened people to know actually there is good and bad, and this is how you can go to the good. Then Paul and, and Jesus and Paul and, and the New Testament thinkers, all, almost all of which were Jewish, affirmed the Torah as good, but also affirmed it didn't have the power to change whatever it was within humans that are seduced by power, and and therefore you still have the system of the oppressor, oppression and the oppressor, even though the Torah has been given, which is good. So I'm wondering if it's not so much the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a training in in believing the lie that I'm not godlike. It's more a desire to rule 
as we're made image bearers of God, but outside God's wisdom, not through the tree of life, through our own wisdom. And as we rule in our own wisdom, because we're given volition, then we cause all this death and destruction and sabotage. The law comes to show us this isn't great. We still can't change. So then we need, to me, the whole momentum of the Hebrew Bible is human after human after human fails to rule in God's wisdom and causes injustice and oppression. All the great heroes of the faith are fundamentally flawed, like Abraham, David, Moses, and Joseph. They're all flawed, even though they're the heroes of the faith, let alone the others, because the whole momentum is towards a human who will finally will come, who will rule in God's wisdom and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So it wasn't so much we were trained in the lie, it was the Torah that exposed the lie, but exposed our inability to rule with God's wisdom and exposed our desire constantly, our propensity to rule in our own wisdom. I acknowledge what you're saying about childhood. I don't know when that happens. I'm not saying there's a time that suddenly at this point we're morally responsible, the Jewish tradition would say, bar mitzvah at 13, but we don't know when that, that something shifts and suddenly we're morally responsible. We're not innocent anymore and we rule by our own wisdom and cause death and destruction. That to me is an interpretation of the, the tree narratives. Um, and that the Torah helps us see that, but isn't sufficient to deliver us from it. And then Jesus comes and he enables us to be ruling in God's wisdom in such a way that it, that releases human flourishing. What What's your take on what the Torah does and the training of the tree? And what are what is the human deficiency? Mm-hmm. What is human nature? Yeah, it's such a good way to put it. And I'd say, I'd say on one level, I think the way you've put it is is true and I would agree with. Mm. Um, but I think there's a deeper level which mm. recasts it in a different light. Okay. So what does Paul say about the purpose of the law? Actually, Paul says the law was added so that sin would increase. Mm. So that's really interesting. We, mm. If we just stop and unpick that for a moment, the law was added to increase sin. So mm. God does something with the express purpose of increasing sin. Mm. That's Paul's gambit there at that mm. point in the book of Romans. Yeah. Now that doesn't, that doesn't quite fit in with the law was added to teach us to, to show a light on the fact that mm. we have a destructive propensity that yeah. we didn't understand. It was there. And the, the and mm. in a sense, the, the law does give that mm. to us. But actually, it begins by doing that, but it ends by increasing sin, mm. increasing sin to the point that all are disqualified. Actually, even more than that, Paul says it increases it to the point that all are dead. Mm. So he, he, he uses this kind of existential language. Yeah. All are dead. Through the law, I died to the law, mm. he said. The commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Mm. And he said, and this was God's purpose the whole time. So the the Jewish conceptualization was kind of what you were saying. Here's the law. It's teaching us the right way to live. Mm. And when you put it up against, when you put, you say the law is good. Mm. When you put good up against evil, good mm. is better. Mm. So it is far better not to murder people mm. than to murder people. Yeah. Now, there was a point when maybe nobody really just shrugged it off. So, oh, no problem. Murder yeah. it doesn't matter. So mm. the law comes along. It's better not to murder mm. than to murder. Absolutely. And I, mm. I, I want to say, within that framework there's good there's bad mm, yeah however um jesus goes on to show it is insufficient because he mm. says well you've heard it said don't murder but whoever mm. hates his brother is guilty of murder yes now what's jesus getting at mm. when he says that now he he reorients the discussion from 
he, he takes it to a more fundamental place from an action of murder yeah. into a disposition of the heart. Yes. Now I've heard people say, well, Jesus is making hatred to be equivalent to murder, which is kind of ridiculous, actually. Mm. It's not yeah. equivalent no. because if I'm angry at someone and I hate them, it's not the same as me pulling yeah. out a revolver and shooting yeah. them in the head, you know, yeah. it's demonstrably not the same. Yeah. Um, and the idea that I, I don't know really where this, often repeated idea of yeah. all sin being equal yeah. uh, comes from it uh, i mean i've probably got an idea but um it's nonsense mm-hmm. i mean even jesus himself talks about greater sin and a lesser mm-hmm. sin so mm-hmm. um it's not the same mm-hmm. um but what is he doing yeah i think he's reorienting our um understanding to a place to say that that seed of hatred in the heart yeah. is the same thing that one if it if it grows fully, it's the thing that produces murder. The question yeah. is how mature the seed is. Mm. Um, it's of the same category, of the same mm. kind, but it's not as damaging, it's not as destructive, mm. you know. So he he reorients it to a conversation about what's going on in the internal world. Yeah. He does this a lot, actually. Mm. So when, when you have the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you think about it, this is a real this is a real antithesis to the law Mm. because the law says do unto others according to the prescriptions of what's written in the law Mm. jesus says do unto others according to what you would have them do unto you which requires you to have some kind of internal dialogue Mm. well what would i have others do unto me Mm. um and then to first see that in yourself and then to be able to empathize and extrapolate that out towards others yeah which is the process that's involved in love you know the process Mm. of love and love does no harm to its neighbor Um, if you think about it, that's a completely different way of operating than the way of the law. The way of the law gives you prescriptions and says, yeah. learn these and follow them and you'll mm. do, do what's right. And um, Jesus says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, which is mm. you have to know something of yourself and yeah. then you have to somehow intuit yeah. from that into your action. Yeah. That the action flows from an internal reality instead. Mm. It's, there's something organic about that. Yeah. I think that starts to look like the tree of life. Yes. Um, so I, I think what happens with the Hebrew law is, uh, of course, to, Torah doesn't mean law. It mm. means wisdom. I think yeah. you've made that point yeah. as well. Um, so the, the, our conceptualizations of law, yeah. we might overlay the, the concept of legal system. Yes. Um, yeah. And we have to be careful of that. And certainly yeah. with Reformation thinking, most of the early reformers were trained lawyers. So yes. they brought a legal lens, yes. a judicial lens. Yes. Um, but I think that judicial lens begins to break down very quickly when mm. we start to really work out its implications. It's yeah. useful as a metaphor, but yeah. it's just a metaphor. It's not a reality. Yeah. So I think what we have is, if you think about Adam in the garden, when mm. he takes him, him and Eve, when they, they take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge mm. of good and evil, whatever that means historically, yeah. in terms of historical fact, I, I don't know, but let's mm. just take it as it says it. Yeah. Um, that, that, that represents uh, a a decision mm. to view the world through this particular lens, okay. and that's not just a mental thing. That's a yeah. that's something right at the core of Adam's yeah. being. Suddenly, I have to learn the good and learn the evil, mm. choose the one and reject the other. Mm. This is Deuteronomy twenty eight. God yeah. says, "I've given you two mountains, blessings and curses. Mm. Choose the one, reject the other, mm. and you'll be fine." Um, well, that's what the law promises. The mm. law promises a, a system that we can learn mm. and then we can apply ourselves mm. to engage with it. Mm. And mercy within a legal system says, well, then you get away with it. You've got some leeway yeah. if you make some mistakes, um, which is to really water down the gospel because uh, the gospel doesn't give us room for that. The gospel mm. says all die. 
yeah. according to the law. Yeah. Um, you, you might even see the whole process of the, the, the story in the Old Testament, the trajectory of the Old Testament is one of a progressive exclusion of everybody. Yeah. So, um, well, Noah and his family, there's a lot yeah. excluded apart from yeah. them. You know, well, even go back to Cain and Abel. Mm. Abel included, Cain excluded. Mm. Um, you get down to Noah's family included, everyone else excluded. And then out of them, uh, you have Abraham included, Lot and the others excluded. And then out of Abraham's children, Judah included, the others excluded. Out of Judah, the family of David included, everyone else excluded. Out of the family of David, just the root and the branch of Jesse. Um, all have sinned and yeah. fallen short of the glory of God. So then only one. So there's this progressive exclusion of everyone. And Paul puts it like this he says so god binds everyone over to disobedience so as to have mercy on them all yeah so the purpose of that exclusion is to put everybody in the same boat mm. and then to blast an iceberg through the hull of that boat and sink it to the bottom of the ocean mm. that's that's the bit that we we miss yeah. it's the really radical bit yeah actually he puts us into the boat not as a lifeboat but to sink that boat mm. and to bury us at the bottom so yeah. that at the very bottom we meet christ mm. and in the very bottom we're raised with him yeah. And that's significant because but if we why don't... do we need to be sunk again? That's the right. bit I don't why? understand. Yeah. What is the propensity within us to death that means that boat we need we all need to be sunk? What's the same boat we're all in? Yeah. Well I think again we go back to Genesis two. Yeah. Adam is is in that boat. Mm. Um typologically in the scripture mm. it's the bush that he hides in, which in, in mm. Jewish tradition is the fig bush. And mm. you, they talk about um wearing fig leaves. Mm. Uh, in, in Jewish tradition, the bush they go into is also the fig tree, yeah. the, the fig bush. Yeah. So, uh, and, and the fig bush becomes symbolic of, uh, of, of, um, the, the uh, Hebrew, the, the Israel system, you know. Yeah. So when Jesus curses the fig tree, mm. that's, that's really obvious. Mm. He's, it's a fig tree that has leaves but no fruit. So he's cursing the training in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's saying that is death. Yeah. It, any, and all of you are in it, so you're all, it's all dead in that it's not a real way of living. That's the bit I can't, what yes, is the propensity, yeah. the deficiency yeah. that we all need to sink? Why can't, why do we need to sink? Mm. Well, I think you, you have Adam's already sunk, you see. Mm. Where's he sunk into? He's sunk into the bush. Mm. So he's, he's gone and hidden himself. Yeah. Um, he, he, Adam and Eve are hiding from God, trying to be covered by the leaves of a tree that produces no fruit. That's the image that's there. And I think what we see is that the, at the point where they, where the road forks and they go down that road, mm. God hasn't changed. Mm. So if, if you would think that if you adopted much of the kind of, um, popular angles around what God is like, you would think that as soon as Adam took that, um, took the fruit, mm. if he even got within 10 feet of, you know, God walking in the, in the Ruach HaKodesh, you know, the, yeah. in the, the, the spirit, in the cool of the day, mm. in the garden, he would just spontaneously combust. Yeah. So, well, Adam, you're unholy now. God is holy. If you, if you get near him, you're just mm. going to get torched. Um, but that's not what happens. Yeah. In fact, in the, in the Genesis narrative, God gets close mm. enough to Adam to actually clothe him. Yeah. So God, what, what's happened there? Because yeah. that shouldn't be the case if we adopt that mentality yes. if what's happened to adam is now he's become combustible right? yeah now he's a combustible if he gets close to the fire mm. he's just going to get mm. torched well that doesn't happen mm. but in adam's mind he's gone to hide because he's afraid he's going to be destroyed okay 
So what's happened now is he's uh, Adam has entered into death. He's mm. entered into the fig tree. Yeah. He's entered into darkness. Yeah. And now he's now he's in that darkness. There's something within him that mm. has erected this wall. Yeah. Or maybe we could look at it like a, a colored filter. Yeah. You know, it's, there's a pane of glass which is tinted a certain color, and now he can only see that color. Yeah. He's adopted it and taken it into himself. Mm. Now he, we, we could say, Genesis two begins with God creating man in His image, mm. and ends with man recasting God in His image. Yes. Yeah. So this overlay has now happened, mm-hmm. and because that overlay is there. Um, there is something within Adam which renders him incapable of being at peace and at rest in the presence of God. Yeah. And that's connected to shame, actually. Mm. It says they were ashamed. Mm. Now, what is shame? Mm. Shame is a complex emotion. Mm. You know, it's a, a universal emotion. Mm. Um, but it's, it's complex and it, it, shame speaks to our sense of inner deficiency. Yeah. Being less than, being not yeah. enough than. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of like a delocalized mm. guilt. You know, yeah. it's a sense of, I, I just do not measure up. Mm. Shame is what Peter manifests when he first meets Jesus. Mm. Go away from me, Lord. Yeah. Because I'm a sinful man. I made the, the, the yeah. point in the talk. Mm. Within six months, Peter has become so cured of shame just mm. by hanging around Jesus that he mm. actually believes he's a candidate to be number one in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Well, that's quite a, yeah. that's quite a shift. Yeah. So, so in being around Jesus, mm. what's the natural consequence of being around him? Is shame is just yeah. evaporating. It's dissolving yeah. and disappearing. Yeah. But how, how can that happen? Because yeah. you've got, you've got Adam in the bush mm. and suddenly this, um, the, the, he's gone so much into his darkness mm. that the father, son and spirit say, well, in, in order to reach Adam in his darkness, the only way is to go fully into that darkness ourselves. And that, yeah. that's the incarnation. Yeah. So when Christ comes to the incarnation, this the scripture says he took on flesh, mm. and flesh is the word incorrectly translated sinful nature by mm. some uh, Bibles. Not there, by the way, because mm. they, they they struggle with that. How can Jesus take on sinful mm. nature? It doesn't fit the theology. I yeah. mean, it's that's what the language says. Yeah. Um, flesh, rather. Um, so you see, it doesn't fit. Mm. So we kind of have to then try and shoehorn our theology into our translation. Mm. The word became flesh. It could mm. have said the word, and that's sarks in the Sox, Greek. Yeah. It could have said the word became anthropos the word mm. became human yeah that why not specifically the word became flesh mm. flesh is like the bad word for human yeah so you get the statement god made him who knew no sin to be sin mm. on our behalf yeah. again that's usually said oh well when jesus went on the cross mm. he became sin mm. well it doesn't say when jesus went on the cross mm. he became sin it says the word became sarks and dwelt among us that he, he and if you take a reformer like john calvin actually he points this out he says that the 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 work of the atonement begins mm. in the incarnation yeah. not on the cross in the incarnation the cross yes. is the consummation yes. of it but yes. actually the, the 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 actual atoning work is there in the in the moment of the incarnation so the atonement is that we human adam humanity believe the lie that we're deficient we're not godlike we're trained in the tree of knowledge of good and evil we now need to work on our own self-improvement and that is dead that that isn't real or true. always leads to death that always leads to death yeah. and the atonement is that jesus became a human in all all forms of true humanity and then resisted that invitation to be trained in the knowledge of good and evil instead continually believed the whole time he was god-like and and fully himself not deficient in any way and as a result somehow atoned for our 
I, well, see, the well, thing he, I can't he, is, yeah. it, is, it, is it that we believe a lie and that's the deficiency or are we actually deficient? Mm. And that's the thing I can't. I can understand if we're fundamentally deficient in some way and he is not, then he walks our life. He has our death. He's buried with our we're buried with him, we're raised with him, we're ascended with him, we're glorified in him. In that, our f- deficiency is gone. Mm. But what you're, it feels like it's slightly different what you're saying, that the training, the deficiency, the re- we're not deficient, we just believe we're deficient. And that's the thing that needed to right, change. Right, right. So I think you, you've got this statement that in, uh, early on in Romans, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Mm. Well, there's, there's your deficiency. We exchanged the truth mm. for a lie. Um, the truth about human nature is human beings were never created to be in independent separation or isolation yes. from God. Yes. Yeah. In fact, what we, what we learn from the scripture is that God upholds the existence of everything by the word of his might. Yeah. He doesn't just create it and then back off mm. and it sort of winds like a wind up clock mm. and he lets it go to kind yes. of do its own thing. Actually, the, the, the consistent presentation of the scripture is the, the loving presence of God yeah. is what sustains reality. Yes. So when we look at it from that context, the notion that we can have any living, moving, existing that is independent from God yes. is a farcical. Yes. Why Paul says yes. when he goes to Athens, in him we live and move and have our being. Yes. We have our being in him. Yeah. So the notion of separation is kind of um, destroyed within that. So we, we see when Adam, when Adam is separating himself from God, he's yeah. separating himself in his mind because... But not in reality because it's be impossible reality. to yeah. be separated. But in his, that's the lie. Mm. The lie. And out of that comes things like murder and death. That's why I yes. think these become these behaviors which yeah. are really violating. Definitely. It feels yeah. like it, it... Does that do them justice that this is... People can do horrible things to each other and just say, well, we believed a lie. We were separated. Almost diminishes mm. the reality of what people have suffered and endured. Well, I think, I think that's part of the issue is we, we're Western people and we, we inherit a certain type of dualism from really it's from the Enlightenment. It's not really from before the Enlightenment mm. in the same way, but we inherit this kind of um, thought action dualism mm. uh, in a way which isn't presented in the early church fathers is not presented in in the scripture yeah. um, we we tend to separate out well um it's just a lie it's like well got you so uh, lies an embodied thing just it's like embodied truth is. right right everything exactly. about you you're not living in reality you're living in deception jesus says i'm reality i'm true mm-hmm. and then when we're resisting that in our own thinking we're the whole life is a lie so something like murder is is an action of a lie mm. because it's denying the sacredness of the other or whatever. Right. And it's, and, and it's fundamentally, what is that lie against? It's against love, which is yes. the way of being yeah. that is the Trinity. So the very reality of the world that we live in, according to the Christian belief, the, the very foundation of that reality is the loving presence of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Yes. So to, to not see that mm. and therefore to attempt to live from a different kind of source yes. is what kinks everything out of whack. You Got know? you. And so lying for you is weighty. I think that's what I... 100, yeah, 100%. I, I almost, you know, you were saying not all sins are the same. And, we, mm. and when someone says, we believed a lie, therefore we did this, you're like, okay, what you're saying is that's dualistic for me to not see lie. A lie is weighty. It is extremely weighty. Yeah. Because it's resisting reality. In, in fact, you've got in, in Orthodox theology, this discusses the difference between the true self and the false self. Yeah, yeah. So the, the false self is a false self. Like yeah. it's a, it, it's an illusory self. It's yes. not the real self. Yeah. 
but that doesn't mean it doesn't have presence. It doesn't mm. have an impact. And I mean, darkness has no substance. Yeah. I like to think of it like this. Darkness has no substance, mm. but it can kill you. Yeah. Like you can, you can be walking in the dark and not yeah. see you're going to fall down a hole. You yes. know, so it, darkness can, yeah. darkness can kill you. Um, and it can, it can be something that generates in us through our own fears yeah. and our own projections, things that also become destructive and can kill us too. Yeah. So, but, but darkness is not a thing. Yeah. So it doesn't have any existence. It's not like an, it's yeah. not like anti-light, you know, yeah. um, yeah. darkness is just, um, is abs- it's, it's, it's an absence. Yeah. Um, now John talks about darkness, you know, John one in the prologue. Uh, it, it's interesting. He says, um, uh, he, he talks about John the Baptist coming to testify concerning the darkness. Yeah. Now, what does that tell us if we think about it? It tells us that the darkness is so bad mm. that we actually need someone to come and tell us that the darkness is a thing yeah. and it's there. Okay. So the worst kind of darkness, the most yes. effective darkness is the darkness you don't even know is darkness. Yes. The worst kind of deception is a deception you don't even know, yes. right? It's a yes. lie that's so, uh, so powerful yeah. that you, you think you can see when actually you can't. Yes. Jesus uses this language about the Pharisees. He said, yes. if the Pharisees didn't claim to see, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. Yes. Really strange statement. Yeah. Again, if we plug it back into a legal framework, it makes no sense at all. Yeah. What, what law did they break to yeah. be guilty of sin? Well, Jesus said, actually, the only thing they did is claim to see when they can't. Mm. Very di- Totally yeah. different framework. It, yeah. it, it doesn't fit in as yeah. a statement. Um, also, you have this thing, uh, it talks about, uh, Jesus talks about the Pharisees being sons of the devil mm. well are they really sons of the devil mm. well the devil didn't create them yeah right yeah so yeah. um yeah. so actually when he calls them sons of the devil he's saying yeah. that the way of being that you are electing to operate in yes. is actually in the line of the devil who is called the father of lies yes. so therefore everything about this is illusory false yes. deceptive it's not real it's yeah. not, and the word truth in the greek aletheia yeah. it means the word real yeah. you know it's yeah. a, it's it is physical embodied truth like you yeah. mentioned before yeah it's not abstract it's not an yeah. abstract concept um so everything in that narrative is darkness lies deception the false yeah. self the the, the yeah. false reality yeah um, and that is the condition of our hearts. Yes. But God says, how do I, how do I solve this? Yes. Um, well, Paul says, God who made light to shine out of darkness yes. made his light to shine out of our hearts. Yes. So, so Paul goes back to Genesis one, in fact. So yeah, no, I, he's kind of linking yeah, it. In fact, yeah. we can see what Paul's doing is he's taking Genesis one and saying, Genesis yeah. one is actually about where how christ comes yeah. to meet us yeah absolutely. so in the in the darkness in the formlessness yes. of that, that right. chaos he says let there be light and then out of that yes. it's not that the light shines in and no. i think this is a really important distinction yeah christ's light doesn't begin by shining into us yeah we yeah. shine it's we shine into one another the light of yeah. christ does shine in relationally in yes. those ways but actually the, the the new testament scheme is more um paradoxical yeah than that. it's saying it says the light shines out of our yes. hearts in the same way that Jesus says, the one who drinks the water I give him out of his yes. innermost being will, yes. will rise up from the deepest part of him. The Holy yeah. Spirit will yeah. rise up from there. Yeah. So the image is saying that there is something at the very deepest core mm. of your being that mm. is the life of God, mm. that the way we've been trained to live and think mm. and feel and all the rest mm. um, diverts our attention from that mm. towards an illusory and deceptive mm. way of being. Okay. And then the light of Christ recalibrates us yep. to suddenly see this is the truth. Christ yep. in me yep. 
oh, and it's not even I who live. Mm. It's Christ living through me mm. because he and the Holy Spirit the Lord, is the Lord and giver of life. Christ, mm. the resurrection and the life. So the very thing that powers mm. me mm. is God, the presence of God himself. So how could I be separate from him? Yes. If he has shown me that he is the very one who is mm. causing me to live. Now, again, go back to Genesis 2. Mm. It says, God breathed his breath into the man and the man mm. became a living being. Yeah. Well, you, you know, both in the mm. Hebrew and in Greek, mm. the, the word for breath and the word for spirit yeah. are, is identical. Yeah. So when God breathed his breath mm. into Adam, saying he breathes his spirit into yeah. him. It's yeah. very conspicuous. Yeah. Adam is alive. He is human because he has the Holy Spirit inside yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very specific mm. that that's there. Mm. So suddenly the, 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 this idea of separation, mm. Well, could Adam still, could, could Adam even hide from God mm. if he didn't have God within him? Mm. And the answer is, well, of course, no, he couldn't do yeah. anything if he didn't have yeah. God within him yeah. because he wouldn't exist at all. He would just yeah. evaporate away into nothing. Yeah. Um, Athanasius of Alexandria writes in uh, the, the book on the incarnation of the word. He said, mm. God, uh, what then was God being good to do, seeing that his creation mm. was on the road to ruin and, and lapsing into non-being? Mm, oh, this is the, the, yeah. the stage that's set. Yeah. So Christ enters into our unraveling. Yeah. And that unraveling is is death. So he mm. he goes to death mm. and goes all the way down to the bottom of the bottomless pit. Yeah. Now if he were if he weren't to do that, then he wouldn't have actually reached us there. Yeah. Because that's where we are. Yeah. He comes to reach us there. He doesn't yeah. just come to reach us in the highways and the byways and in the streets mm. and on those things. He does reach us there. He meets mm. us on every level. But if he left. If he left death mm. unassumed, then mm. it's unhealed. Again, yeah. I think that's, I think that might be a Calvin quote. The unassumed is the unhealed. Mm. Or maybe I'm quoting someone else. I don't remember, <laughs> but it's in there. The unassumed is the unhealed. So mm. Christ assumes all. Yeah. And, he, and when it says he becomes flesh, it means mm. he's assumed even, uh, perhaps even especially mm. those parts of us, which are the sinful, yeah. corrupt, yeah. you know, th those parts, which is like, mm. we, we can't possibly, yeah. can't possibly have that. Mm. Um, now the other image of that is the image of circumcision, mm. which, the circumcision of the heart. This, mm. is impl this implies something is cut away and removed from mm. us. Um, so what is it that's cut away and removed? Yeah. Um, well, uh, again, I think it, we can talk about it. it's the false self mm. is cut away and removed. Mm. Um, well, we can, we can still reactivate that yeah. if we choose to agree with those lies and, yeah. and come into agreement with that way of being. We mm. don't have to do that. Mm. Um, perhaps we could put it this way. Maybe before Christ came, mm. um, perhaps we could imagine it. And I don't know if this is exactly right or, or if we need to perhaps get a bit more nuanced mm. on it too. But if, if we're trying to kind of pass it out and be a bit more concrete, maybe you could say before Christ came, there was no, uh, there was no option in this. Yes. Um, yeah. and then after, after Christ comes, he assumes mm. in his physical body, mm. um, and puts to death mm. in the cross that which, um, that which is the disease of our mind. Mm. You know? And th that is biblical language too. You know, mm. Jeremiah says the heart is sick beyond cure. Yeah. Um, so if the heart's sick beyond cure, mm. God's solution is the replacement of the heart. Yeah. I'll take out the heart of, of stone yeah. and put in the heart of flesh mm. again. Um, mm. So that, and that's the incarnation. The incarnation mm. is the coming of the heart of flesh into the heart of man. Yeah. Now, actually, does it happen then or was it true before? Yeah. Well, Paul talks about the gospel as something that has been a mystery that for ages has been yes. hidden, but has now been revealed. Yes. So if something is revealed and implies, well, there, that it was real before, we yes. just couldn't see it. Yeah. Now it has become, yeah. not become real, it's mm. become revealed. Yeah. 
So he's careful with his language. Yeah. He doesn't say this wasn't the case and now it is. Yeah. And that's yeah. it's the truth that was hidden has now mm. been revealed. Mm. Um, but again, it, it, I don't think the New Testament authors are trying to be so semantically precise. No. Um, and I think that certainly our transition from darkness mm. into light feels like, well, it was, I was dead before I'm now I'm alive. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You were yeah. dead before. Now you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it was, um, I think the, the theologian T.F. Torrance, when asked, mm. when were you born again? Mm. And he said, well, I've got three answers to the question. Brilliant. He said, I was, yeah. um, I was born again before the foundation of the world yeah. um, in Christ. He said, yeah. I was born again 2,000 years ago mm. on the cross. Nice. Um, and I was born again when I first came to know and, and I believed the gospel and received it yeah. um, and with joy. And, and we mean in the, the, the term in three sort of different mm. ways. Yeah. Um, but each one is predicated on the one before. Yes. So my personal response to Jesus is, is important, yeah. but it's actually only important because it's already anchored in the reality of 2000 years ago yes. on the cross. And that is significant yeah. really because it is predicated on before the foundation of the world. Yeah. And so what we see is before we were lost in Adam, we were found in Christ. Yes. Yes. So if we talk about original sin, yeah. really, we're not talking about original. No. We're talking about after original, yeah, yeah, um, totally. our, our original position is hidden in Christ. Yeah. And that's, yeah. the, that's the language of the New Testament. Yeah. The New Testament never says original sin. No. It says you were chosen in him from the mm. foundation of the world. Yeah. So to be holy and blameless in his sight, mm. it says. Yeah. So actually, uh, the New Testament opens, it lifts back the veil mm. of what our identity is in Christ from mm. ages past. Yeah. Now, how does that work out kind of existentially when mm. we're looking at, all right, well, the, why is it that we still see all mm. these issues and what have you? Um, I think the question of education is a really powerful one. Mm. Um, the Holy Spirit is educating the human race. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and mm. educating in the Socratic sense, mm. of, in, in Socratic education, the word is midwifery, myeutics. Yeah. Mm. So education is the idea that within you is everything already mm. and mm. it needs to be drawn out. Right. So the yeah. Holy Spirit is drawing out that which is the truth, yeah. the most authentic truth of our being yeah. within us, which is we are, we are fully immersed in the life of Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah. Um, we can resist it. We can fight against it. Yes. We can totally uh, blaspheme it and yeah. cut across it. But um, we cannot change it because yeah. we cannot change God. Yeah. Um, and God's orientation towards us is mm. peace on earth and goodwill to all men yeah. on whom his favor rests. It's, we, that origin can't be overwritten. Mm. Um, even if we choose to inhabit our false self conceivably forever, yeah. you know, the New Testament yeah. leaves that open. It's conceivably yeah. we can mm. f- forever choose to inhabit that, that, that space. Yeah. Um, but it's not even a real space. No. It's, it, it's, it, it's not a space of rejection from God. It's mm. a space of us rejecting him and yeah. rejecting ourselves yeah. and rejecting each other mm. and rejecting the most authentic truth of our being. Mm. So, um, what, what, what we need is, is, uh, and, and even in that mm. Jesus says, well, I've come and parked myself there. Mm. I've come right into the darkness. You yeah. can't go to a place that's so dark. I'm not there. Yeah. And David testifies about this. If mm. I go up into heaven, you're there. If I go down yeah. right into the bottom of the bottomless pit, you're there. Mm. So it, it shows us that the, the, his, his peace and, mm. and, and everywhere he is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is mm. peace. You know, that's the message that, that, that is being broadcast on every level of existence mm. continually. So, but, but we still are, um, we still maintain this kind of, um, artificial, 
uh, parasitic way of thinking mm. that is, is still being, le- being schooled and lectured in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yes. we have an enemy, you know, yes. there's a, yes. Satan is there. And we've seen the, 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 the picture in, um, in Revelation. Mm. How does Satan operate? Where he crouches at the, he crouches at the womb of the woman. Mm. So Satan's, um, the dragon that crouches mm. at the womb of the mm. woman to try and devour the child. Mm. Or what, what's this trying to tell us? It's saying that the, um, the, the, the teeth marks of mm. that satanic bite, mm. they come at us from as early as possible. Yeah. It's things that are trying Maybe. to stamp themselves on, yeah. on childhood. So I think when Jesus goes, says you have to become like the children, mm. he's saying we're in a sense trying to, he's, it's not exactly reversing the clock yeah. to before yeah. the, the bite because he 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 does, but he undoes it. Yeah. You know, he he, he undoes yeah. the the sting of it. The sting mm. of death is gone. Mm. Um, but it's those things that get in that then reshape and recast our identity mm. um, in all these destructive ways. Yeah. Um, these ways that are based on deception. They're yeah. false. Yeah. And because they're false, they belong to the the father of falsehood. Mm. Yeah. Who who is the devil? He wants to put his mark on us. Mm. But actually, Jesus says you can't you can't put a mark that's more fundamental than the mark mm. that I've placed because before the foundation of the world, yeah. I've done this yeah. and the, the strength of sin is the law and the mm. strength of the law is death. Um, and we were all held captive to the fear of death. Mm. In fact, the new Testament describes the human condition as we were held in bondage yeah. to the fear of death. Yeah. So it doesn't say we had original sin and were mm. under judgment. So we were held in bondage to the fear of mm. death. And Jesus destroys the one who has the power of death and destroys death. Mm. um in the process mm. and and so everything that looks like death mm. which isn't just physical death yeah. it could be death in a relationship yeah it could be death of hope mm. you know it could be death of uh of vitality mm. you know death of um joy mm. you know uh th- th- these things are all manifestations in different ways of the power of death it's, and jesus destroys them all yeah so whenever we're confronted by death mm. we've got I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. So it's like, all right, where where is the thief stealing, killing, and destroying in our lives yeah. right now? Jesus has come to give life. Yeah. He's come to give resurrection. Mm. And that resurrection is like a it's like a, a fragrance that rouses us. Mm. You know, that that it's like a, a, an awakening fragrance, mm. you know, like an essential oil yeah. um, of the that fragrance of Christ suddenly mm. raises our awareness to, oh, there I am. There mm. you are. Well, it's actually first there you are. Mm. Oh, there you are, Jesus. And immediately, and there I am. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. my life is hidden in Christ and God. Yeah. Because I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places. Mm. I am there. I can't mm. be anywhere else. Mm. Um, so I think we, if we allow that to real, the real full force of mm. that to uh, work itself through mm. us, then it begins to transform our whole way of looking yeah. at things. It, it unravels our systems. Yeah. And of course that can be kind of challenging, challenging yeah. because so much yeah. we, we may have and may well have built so much of our identity, yes. our own uh, self-worth yes. yeah. on things that kind of are just vaporous. And, they, yes. and when they come under the light, they just evaporate and show yeah. that they aren't really anything. Yeah. Well, if we, if we're very invested in them, mm. that that's really, really difficult. Yeah. And that's why I think people, run from God yeah. <laughs> actually at, yeah. at, at, at our heart mm. um, we try and run from him but all the time he's trying to say you don't need to actually yeah. it's so much better yeah. just 
you know, just, okay, you can run as much as you like, yeah. but sooner or later you're going to, you're going to get exhausted. And when you do, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. Yeah, um, and this is his relentless pursuit. You know, when he says, yeah. I, I'll, I'll even leave the 99 to go after mm. the one, you know, I, so I don't, I, I'm not in the business of abandonment. Mm. I'm not in the business of cutting people off. Yeah. Um, there's, I know people might suddenly have ideas of different Bible verses about mm. that, but actually really in those cases, if you go and interrogate those Bible verses, you might find mm. they don't actually mean what mm. you were taught they meant, yeah. you know, like the one about the vine mm. and any branch in, uh, remain in me and you'll bear mm. fruit. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit will be cut off. Mm. Well, that's ridiculous because he just said of the, any branch in him will bear fruit. Yeah. So how can a branch be in him? and not bear fruit yeah. and therefore it would be cut off. Actually the word's not cut off, it's yeah. lifted up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So the, the picture is the vines that are trampled down yeah. in the ground need to yeah. be given yeah. a special grace to be lifted yeah. up and then they become fruitful again. Mm. So um, it, it, that even that imagery in that language, mm. when we, if we've been very trained and schooled mm. in that kind of mentality, then all these things can kind of suddenly mm. fly up. And what about this? What about that? It's like, mm. actually, let's just, gently interrogate those again mm. what are we actually reading into this that isn't really there yeah um and how how does the gospel uh, calibrate us to, to to deal with this that's um, that's absolutely brilliant in fact i will just say this is paul paul golf what the gospel message is and so we're we're saying we were originally in christ and the lie we believed is that we were disunited and then our healing comes from coming into a realization we're in him and we can't oh, and, be and, anywhere else and, and even that realization is healing yes um yeah uh, it's healing and the other things emerge from it as well yeah, yeah so sure. this is what you say the gospel message is what we could never become in our own effort christ has made us he has made us by design and he has also become us in the flesh he has lived our life he has died our death and he has risen our resurrection and he has ascended our ascension he has taken us with him such good news. Excellent. Such good news. And all we have to do is come into agreement with that. Presumably the it. repentance is seeing everything for clearly for how it really is, that metanoia, that change of mindset from falsehood into reality. Mm. We're loved. We're, we were part, created to participate in his glory and we, we can relax into that. And, and, and that's really the only way. Yes. To relax into it. It's yeah. the place of rest. Yeah. It's my yoke is easy, my burden mm. is light. It's the only way. Yeah. Um, and in so, fact, that brings me perfectly on to the, final, to the yeah. third thing. We've, so gone, we've, a, done we've really gone a long well. time already. We've done really well. <laughs> I don't know how well we've done on time, but hopefully it's good. <laughs> hopefully people stick with it. Let's hit the, let's hit the last bit quick. Yeah. This mm. is really quick. It's just, if this is all true and we just have to relax into him, the sun worships God by being the sun. Mm. The only thing we really have to offer Jesus is our resistance. These are great Paul Golf quotes. We, the Trinity wants to, it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wanted to create people to participate in our glory. If love, and this is a brilliant Paul Golf quote, love is the natural and spontaneous consequence of being loved and knowing that we're loved. If all that's true, why do humans get stuck in immaturity, particularly people who call themselves Christians? Hmm. Why aren't we spontaneously growing? Why are people stuck in areas for their entire life? Is there volition? Is there free will? Can we respond? Can we shut the work of God down? Or, or are we sort of passive recipients of this hmm. in terms of actually now coming into agreement with who we are and therefore our purpose? Yeah. Um, yes, there's volition and free will um, because love that's coerced isn't love. Um, so we're not coerced into mm. responding to God, but we if likewise cannot coerce God into rejecting us. Yeah. 
Um, so absolutely, we, we are clearly given freedom to do mm. all kinds of things that are not yeah. what the Father, Son, and Spirit want for us or for yeah. us to be or to, towards others. So there, there's a, a huge need for mm. continued mercy and grace constantly, mm. <laughs> a constant overflowing of that, like every moment of every day. Mm. Um, the, the good news is that's there because yeah. he's constantly pouring that up. He never mm. says, like, you, I'm done with you now. No. Um, as for the question, why you know, what causes us to be stuck mm. in immaturity. Maybe I could be a little inflammatory perhaps mm. and suggest that I'm not entirely sure that the main line of what's being declared and preached in Christian churches um, around the world is anything remotely close mm. to the, the full truth of the gospel. Okay. I think that the, I think the word has been so diluted so much mm. of the time that it means we never we never actually get to the heart or rarely get to the heart of the matter. Okay. So we're left stuck in the shallows. We're okay. left stuck with this mixture of um well I'm I've kind of got a I've got a bit of Jesus, mm. but I've also got it's Jesus plus. Mm. I've got these other things as well that I'm still working with. And mm. until we get to the end of that, mm. I don't think we really begin to actually see the 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 full the full force of the grace and the glory that's given to us. So I, mm. so I think it's a, I think it's a watering down. Okay. And I'm like some of those, some of those verses of scripture I commented on. I, I mean, so I've occasionally had discussions with people who, um, who want to suggest that I'm watering down the scripture, mm. but actually I really re- reject that. I, mm. I think that it, that the, uh, the view that we have something to add to this is really the watering down yeah. of the scripture. Mm. Um, you know, th- th- like w- w- we mentioned those, those issues to do with the law earlier. Mm. And um, the law was added that sin might increase. Mm. Well, I don't want to water that Bible verse down. Mm. I want to take that seriously. Yeah. I think there's a lot of verses like that where we find well, we can kind of feel like, yeah, we've heard it, we understand it, mm. and then we sidestep it. And we haven't actually ever believed it. Yeah. So we believe something else. Yeah. And I always go back to uh, Peter. I think it's um, I think it's first epistle of Peter. Um, though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible mm. and glorious joy mm. because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, Peter, Peter links believing in and loving Jesus mm. with being filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. It's okay. like the one directly follows the other. Got you. So I yeah. think according to the apostle Peter, yeah. if there is an inexpressible and glorious joy, the only yeah. diagnosis for that is there's a problem with what you believe about Jesus. Yes. Yes. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. So if we're powerless, if we're, fi- if we're finding that we have no, yeah. no life within us to do the things which are good, you know, mm. and all the rest, and then we feel guilty and ashamed and all the rest mm. of it. If we're constantly in this, that treadmill, that cycle mm. of um, self-correction and self-improvement. Mm. Well, the scripture says you have no strength apart from mm. God's joy. Mm. Um, joy comes as a direct consequence of knowing and believing the gospel. Mm. Brilliant. That Jesus loves you. So I, I, I can't water those verses down. No. And I mean, it, it reflects back on me too, because how much am I an inexpressible and glorious joy? Yeah. Not very much, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> but I, I, yeah. I cannot, I cannot water down the Bible yeah. to say, well, it's because I haven't done enough of this or it's because yes. I'm, uh, it does, the scripture doesn't permit me to go there. No. It, it actually says there's only one place to go is you haven't really believed. Mm. So what, what's left then is mm. to say, God have mercy. Yeah. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I need you. You're the one who believes. You're yeah. the spirit of faith. Mm. I actually need you to bring me back to believing again yeah. because somehow I have mixed in my old darkness again, mm. something you've saved me from, and that, yeah. there's no reason why it should affect me at all. There's, there's, there's no... Um, there's no legal reason. There's no um, ontological reason no. why that should be that crisis dealt with it once and for all. So mm. the only thing is somehow on some level, I am still resisting. 
Yes, got you. Um, okay. Why am I resisting? Well, and, and actually, I, to be honest with you, Alice, only for myself, um, mm. I sometimes observe that in myself. I'm like, mm. well, the only reason I'm not just saturated with the peace and joy mm. of the Lord right now, if I'm really honest, yeah. it's because I'm resisting it. Yes. I, I'm resisting the call to simply let go of yeah. everything and to let go of the yeah. burden, the responsibility. I'm, I'm just yeah. holding on to it. Why am I holding on to it? It's mm. crazy that I'm holding on to it. Mm. Um, well, maybe I'm holding on to it because it's, it, I feel like I'm getting something from it. Am mm. I deriving nice. something that fuels and powers my yeah. false identity? Yeah. Because I still kind of like that false yeah. identity, right? Yeah. Um, when Jesus says it's yeah. dead, it's illusory, it's just going to yeah. evaporate. But am I still tying myself to it? And of course, the answer is 100%. That's exactly what I'm doing yeah. when that's going on. Yeah. So what's the solution? Rest. Yeah. Just come to rest. Mm. Stop chill mm. let me let me cause you to lie down and of course the the, the lie and the accusation mm. of the enemy is to constantly say well you you have to earn mm. you have to prove yes. you have to demonstrate mm. you have to ascend and climb mm. and push and press mm. on and press mm. into the presence mm. you have to do all of these things um and and it's all it's all a false illusory yeah. system it's not based in truth but when we stop and actually consider the truth mm. the truth is we couldn't even have this conversation the very air yeah. we're breathing yeah. is christological you know yeah. to quote, quote a friend of mine we're, we're breathing christological air we mm. we couldn't be breathing if we weren't mm. and that's true whatever we believe yes um believing something doesn't make it true yeah. it's either true and we or it's not true if we, mm. it's true we can believe it or not but yeah. our believing doesn't make it so Brilliant. But it does change everything about the way we relate to it. So I think this is what we this is what we come back to. Yeah. So final thought. Yeah. I also don't want to water down when Jesus is with Mary and Martha. This is a key passage I keep coming back yes. to over and over again. Um, Jesus says to the sisters, he says, only one thing is needed. Nice. Now, how many times have I watered that down? And I've said, well, two things are needed, three yeah. things are needed, <laughs> yeah. four things are needed, yeah. five things are needed. Anytime we do that, we have taken Jesus's words and completely disregarded mm. them. So anyone who wants to say this is watering down the scripture, you are watering down yeah. the scripture to take Jesus's words and add anything to that one thing. Mm. What is the one thing? What's Mary doing? She's just there. Mm. She's just lying down in green pastures, mm. sitting down actually in the, in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> she's sitting down at the feet of Jesus in green pastures. She's yeah. drinking of the fountain. That's all she's mm. doing. And Jesus refuses to allow anything else to be added into that equation. Nice. So I think... Honestly, and I mean, I like, like like yourself, Alice. I mean, I've been involved in church and church ministry for for a long time, you know, in different ways. And I could see a thousand different ways. I, as well as uh, many others, have have been guilty of simply adding a whole bunch of things yeah. to the one thing that, that yeah. Jesus said. So, is it any wonder that we've got problems? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all all I'm advocating for is perhaps. If we get back to that, mm. we just let the simplicity of that really work on us for mm. 10, 20 years. Yeah. Maybe we'd find 95% of our problems would just evaporate. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe there are some problems need some mm. particular attention for whatever reason, you know, fine. Yeah. Like, let's go for it. We need therapy. We need, mm. uh, we need discipline, you know, mm. cool. Like we need yeah. that stuff. Great. But I think maybe an awful lot of it would actually just suddenly yeah. cease to be there. And all the things we were fighting, it would mm. look like actually we were just boxing shadows the whole time. Yeah. That's good. Thank you very much, Paul. I'm going to finish with a prayer now. Yeah. I'm actually going to finish with a prayer for everyone because actually we all want to surrender our resistance to Jesus. We want to let go of the false self and we want to live in the reality of who we are, that we're deeply loved, deeply pursued. And in that we spontaneously grow in the love which we receive. And in that also we see 
everyone clearly so i just bless us all to walk in that wholeness that healing that restoration that sort of light bulb of who we are in christ amen amen